Rebound, Frazier. He's doing everything right now. Frazier with 12 here in the last couple of minutes. Shoots another three. Oh! Trent Frazier with 15. Five threes. Fast break ahead. Jordan ahead of everybody else for the slam. Oh, Jordan snuck down court. Nobody found him. Bounce pass left corner. Nichols for three. And he got it. Dipper Nichols buries the three from the left corner. He's having a big second half. Mark Smith will dribble it out. And the Illini have a lopsided Big Ten win over Rutgers, 91 to 60. It's time for Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana. We'll get you caught up on your Illini sports news along with other area and national sports news. Here are Lauren Tate and Michael Kaiser. Good Saturday morning, 27 degrees at 901. Cloudy skies on our way to a high today of about 40 degrees, right near 39 or 40 degrees. So not a bad Saturday here in the beginning of February. Boy, those highlights are pleasant to hear. A blowout Big Ten Conference win. Uh, Lauren Tate uh, joins me in studio. It just hasn't happened very often in the last several years that the Atlanta get a blowout Big Ten Conference win where you were pretty comfortable for most of that game and relaxed. It's easy for, for writers and columnists. You guys can follow you. It's a 6 o'clock tip anyway, but get the story filed. Don't have to worry about too much toward the end of the game. It's just it was really time to watch the state, uh, state of the Nation. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> time to watch that. And you want to watch it. But that night we did get home early, and, and uh, of course, uh, we should play Rutgers more often at home. I, I'd say maybe 10 or 15 games against, uh, you know, uh, what do you think? I'm okay with that, and uh, that that would work for me if if <laughs> Illinois played in Rutgers on a regular basis at home, not in Piscataway, New Jersey. The triple overtime game a couple of years ago, last year the three at the buzzer near the buzzer where they lost. Uh, that so I I don't want to play out there. But they really look awkward around the post. I mean, they, in their interior players really did not show me very much. I'm really, I I think everybody's trying to figure out how they took Michigan State to overtime because. They just, of course, if you make baskets, you make all kinds of shots. Who knows? You can change the game overnight. But um, I just, uh, this this is not a good team. And I, I think that, uh, you know, they, there was a lot of talk that there's some kind of a revival going on at Rutgers. They're going to be good here r- real soon. I don't uh-huh. see it. Well, they were missing one player who didn't play in Williams. Uh, another guy went down with an injury uh, somewhat early in that game, and, and uh, Corey Sanders was just awful. 3 of 12 from the field, only like 10 points. He's erratic, but he can uh, be very good when he's hitting. Yeah, he was uh, 0 of 3 from three-point range, just 4 of 8 from the free throw line, uh, and played 34 minutes and was just a non-factor, which is uh, refreshing for Illini fans to hear when it comes to Corey Sanders. Uh, he's not having a good game, and you've got a couple guys out with injury. You're not going to have a lot of success success anywhere in the Big Ten. Uh, again, the Illini won that game 91-60. to 60. Um, So the Illini uh, move on to play Ohio State tomorrow. We'll have Paul Keels on at 10, the, the play-by-play man, the voice of the Buckeyes, football and men's basketball. Uh, so the Illini, it's going gonna, gonna to be a tough matchup tomorrow. Uh, the Buckeyes are playing really, really well. Uh, Kata Bates-Diop from, from normal uh, playing for the Buckeyes, and the Buckeyes are 10-1 and one in Big Ten play. To, to me, and I don't know enough about some, some other teams in the country, this is the biggest uh, – surprise if you want to use that word in the country in the mm-hmm. nation i think very virtually everyone had them in the bottom four of the big 10 mm-hmm. prior to the season and um, i think what was left i mean they had lo- they lost their entire 2015 recruiting class which w- would be all juniors now uh, 
I think that's right. I, I think they'd be juniors. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a 216 class. I mean, if they I think were, it was 2015 class. I think you're right. I think it was 2015. Well, 15, 16. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, I guess, because this is 18, so this would be the third year. In any case, uh, they lost that entire class, and, and uh, of course, nobody knew that uh, Cage Diop was going to come back and have the kind of season. He's a good player, but they didn't know he's going to have this kind of season. They got a really solid guy in Tate at the, at the four, really good four in Tate. And uh, they found a center out of nowhere. I mean, I, I say nowhere because I just didn't know about him. Weston, he's, he's really playing well. Well, uh, the Buckeyes got uh, four guys and double figures. Uh, and, and it's just their Chris Holtman has just done an incredible job with that with that team in his first season after leaving Butler. And I, I'm with you. I, I just didn't see this coming. Uh, I still kind of go, what, what, where is this? Where is this at? Like, I mean, how are they ten and one in Big Ten play? And that they just that one loss was a late loss of Penn State to the three at the horn. And then now Ohio State was also down nine with what um, two minutes to go in the game, three minutes to go in the game. So they were losing that game anyway late in the game. But man, they the Buckeyes are. They're figuring something out this year. Illinois just uh, three and twelve against the Buckeyes since 2010. The last one coming on uh, the matchup uh, last season, the only matchup between the two teams last season. Um, I, I don't know if the Illini can go in there and their success in in Columbus since the, the that arena opened has not been good. Scott Ritchie wrote about that earlier this well, week. Well, their talent level, you know, going yeah. back to Odin has really yeah. been pretty hard to handle, and Illinois has been going the other direction. So the record's not a surprise in the sense that every time you go over there, you're an underdog. Yeah, there definitely are. Some other Big Ten games today, but besides the Illini and the Buckeyes tomorrow, uh, Minnesota at number 24, Michigan, uh, number three, Purdue at Rutgers, Iowa at Penn State, and number five, Michigan State at Indiana tonight. And uh, Purdue, I, I said this last week, Lauren, uh, I watched a little bit of the game the other night once again, and I, I think they're – Michigan State can can score a lot of points in a hurry. They were down double digits in the second half uh, for the second straight game, and they've won both of those games. Uh, but Purdue right now, to me, is the most complete team in the Big Ten, and I can't wait to see these two teams play, Purdue and Michigan State. Like That just needs to happen like today. Well, you're going to see it. Yeah, we're going to see it. Um, I, I, just think they're the, I just think Purdue, Matt Painter, has really got that rolling, and he's, he's got a lot of the two Edwards, Isaac Hawes, Harms, and they've just got a lot of weapons, uh, Matthias. I mean, they, they're just coming at you in so many different ways, some three-point shooting from inside. and, and It all revolves around the center play. Yeah. Because you, the way you have to defend the post, if you can't defend one-on-one, you're giving up something by getting help down there. And and uh, I, I just think – I don't think that they're either one are great players. I mean – uh, Isaac Hayes uh, and Harms, rather, uh, is are good uh, good college players. I don't think that they're anything uh, beyond this, uh, at least not at the NBA level. Uh, but they they require. I mean, if you just if you just let uh, Purdue pass the ball in into Haas, he just turns around, mm-hmm. puts it in. I mean, he's so strong, you can't. They can't. Nobody can stop him. It's not a non-contact sport, by the way. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it, yeah. he's not getting. He's he's rooting his way down there because he's so big. You can't get around him. Yeah, he's he's just a force, and uh, you've seen him up close a couple of times, and uh, he's it, bigger than he looks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how often do you say that? Uh, he's just he's just a just a monster inside for the Boilermakers, and uh, so the. Purdue will easily get their, I believe, 18th straight win or 19th straight win today over Rutgers. That's this afternoon. I don't see any way Rutgers is anywhere close in that game. It is at Rutgers. By the way, Purdue only had four turnovers in that last game. You know, that's 
How do you do that? Yeah, that's a great question. I I, I don't know how you do that. I really don't. Uh, If you can get a shot every time you come down the court, that's a heck of an advantage. The last three Illinois opponents have had 25, 18, and 25 turnovers. Illinois is forcing a lot of turnovers. When you do that, you can forget about shooting averages because you're not getting enough shots. No, I know. And when you turn it all over that many times, it's, it's, it's really tough to... Every to time you throw it out of bounds, it's a missed shot. Yeah, it is. It is. It definitely is. And it, it, when you p- Possessions are so important, uh, that it, especially in conference play, that you can't just throw possessions away. And Illinois is making too many turnovers, too. They are. They are making a lot of turnovers. But because I, I, they kind of balances out when they force a team their 20, 25 t- times a game to turn over with them. You know, that, that kind of balances it out. Illinois is not turning over 25 times a game, but uh, they, four, they had Michigan State at, what, 25 turnovers, and then the other night Rutgers had 25 turnovers. Uh, Rutgers had, uh, yeah, 25. Mm-hmm. So, all right, we're going to take a timeout. We're going to switch over to uh, Michigan State. Uh, Tom Izzo uh, continues to have new post-game news conferences that he probably not like, would not like to have. Uh, Larry Nasser had more uh, sentencing hearings this week. Those are still going on. He'll be sentenced in another county on Monday. And just going to get uh, Graham Couch on again. We haven't had him on for a while. Covers the Michigan State Spartans. He'll be covering the game tonight at Indiana. Uh, get his thoughts on Tom Izzo. If you haven't seen Tom Izzo's uh, news conferences after games, he looks tired. Uh, he's, he's just not, uh, you know, Lauren, you've known Tom for a long time, and just uh, he just seems really different and obvious for obvious reasons. His players say that he's energetic at practice mm-hmm. and energetic at the games. And that's yep. all that matters. That's all, that, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really matter about the news conferences. Well, we'll take a time out. Graham Couch will join us coming up. Stay with us here on DWS. You know what? I, I'm preparing to coach every day, and uh, that's what I do. I'm a coach. I'm not a reporter. I'm not a... I'm not a fan. I'm a coach, and I just got to do my job, and I'm going to try to do it the best that I can. And still in the back of my mind, I always keep those survivors in it. I mean, they matter to me, and the healing process of Michigan State matters to me. Those of you that know me, I mean, I, I'm going to do what I think is right, but uh, I'm just – I'm sorry. I'm, I, I really am because I, I watch a lot of TV, and I, uh, I, see, I see on shows that, you know, everybody thinks everybody has the right to answer a question ask a question and I've always believed that I mean I've always been a fan of the media but I gotta have my rights too and I'm just gonna um, when time comes I'll be able to uh, speak out I know it's it might be frustrating but uh, it's just what I gotta do Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. Tom Izzo, courtesy of the Big Ten Network, after the win against Penn State the other night. As you can imagine, pretty much every news conference after games for Tom are peppered with questions about the sexual assault situation, Larry Nasser situation at the university. Now joining us, Graham Couch, Lansing State Journal sports columnist, panelist on Press Pass on Fox 47. Give him a follow on Twitter, Graham underscore Couch. Graham, good morning. How are you? I'm doing all right. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, yeah. We haven't, haven't, haven't had you on for a while. We've kind of been watching this thing huh, from Champaign as it's unfolded the last several weeks, especially when things have really picked up. You know, Tom Mizzo was here a couple of weeks ago, and that was really before his press conferences got uh, really interesting in terms of just ESPN showing up for a lot of them. And what has the dynamic been like just being a part of those? I know that you you cover the team and you're around. It's just a, a different atmosphere right now after games for Tom. Sure, that's, that's been the story ever since the ESPN story dropped on Friday, um, and it, it's been a fast-moving story because you you had the Larry Nasser uh, sentencing, which is re-picked up in the you know the Eaton County sentencing, but you had the 
the the Ingham County sentencing was where you really it became a national story because of the victim statements and uh, you know the, the live stream and and really that courtroom was in everybody's living room if they wanted it to be or in their office or wherever. And then right at the end of that, Mark Hollis resigns. The the ESPN story drops, and that's a game day for Michigan State. And so that Friday night, uh, they play Wisconsin, and he, he dealt with it then. Um, and then a quick turnaround at Maryland, one o'clock tip on Sunday, and then uh, Tish, Tish Thompson from um, ESPN was there with very specific questions, and um, and then it continued Wednesday with Penn State, and, and you know he is going to have to answer these questions. He owes the MSU community uh, answers to some of this stuff, um, and so it's been a little surreal because I, I don't think I've ever seen Izzo this uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's. You know, people think like I don't think ESPN's reporting is airtight. I think there's issues with the, their coverage in terms of how they've paired Nasser and this and and some stuff that's a little irresponsible. But that doesn't change the fact that there are some legitimate questions that need to be answered. Graham, um, Graham this is Lauren. Let me let me ask you a question yeah. uh, relative to. Uh, by the way, this reminds me of the Joe Paterno case when. Uh, we mentioned about the media when he uh, it said, uh, Joe, you don't seem the same. He says, well, I used to like you guys, <laughs> which means he didn't like us at the end, of course. And I just I, I think probably uh, uh, a guy that's a straight shooter like uh, like Izzo has always been. It, it's really difficult for him and maybe he doesn't feel the same way about the media that he did before. I don't know. But uh, the, the two major cases, it appears to me. That in the two major cases, the the prosecuting the uh, the uh, the law enforcement and the prosecuting attorney handled the cases of uh, Payne and uh, Appling, and in the other case involving uh, Derek uh, uh, Walton, w- weren't those handled outside of? I mean, weren't those handled properly? Uh, I don't know if they handled them properly, but did, at least Izzo wasn't that involved, was he? Well, we don't know, and that's what needs to be answered. And that's there's an attorney general's investigation that'll discover that i mean you know it is hard to win a sexual assault case so there are a lot of sexual assault cases a that don't come forward and b that are never prosecuted because it, it's, it's prosecutors tend not to take cases they can't win or don't think they'll win and so that that doesn't uh, the absence of charges doesn't uh, mean the presence of innocence and you know that was there you know and, and there also though was you know sexual assault cases are are delicate in this matter um we never, until ESPN report, nobody had named Payne and Affleck. We all knew who they were, everybody in that case, back in 2010. There had been various levels of reporting on it, but like a lot of places have, including the Lansing State Journal, a, a policy that we rarely break about uh, naming uh, accused those accused of sexual assault before charges, right? That's a, and so they weren't named. And so if you punish them with games lost or something that's noticeable to the public, then they do become part of the story and they have to be named and changed. So, you know, maybe there was some delicate stuff there. But I also um, I also don't know that it was handled correctly. I don't know that it was handled incorrectly. Uh, I, I think that's all stuff that is fair to ask. Same with the Travis Walton stuff. You know, but... Well, the, the main thing I was the main point I was making is the prosecuting attorney had an opportunity to do what he wanted to do or she wanted to do. Correct. And, and correct. Uh, is, I mean, isn't that doesn't that take it pretty much? I mean, it could take it out. Of, uh, uh, 
it, it it's not like the situation in football where Hollis and D'Antonio appeared to handle some cases internally. I think correct, correct. Well, the the you know the question and times have changed a little bit too. But like with Travis Walton, while charges were pending, um, mm-hmm. or while the case was pending, you know, letting him travel and be part of the program as a student assistant, you know, how how things were handled and what is all kind of new win and and and. Um, I think I think there are valid questions to was he dismissive to, uh, you know, sexual assault and, and, and around his program. But I also think these are questions that probably aren't best answered in certain settings for him. You know, like especially at Maryland, coming off an emotional win, uh, you're on the road. Um, I did think, to be honest, I thought he would call a press conference or release a statement that was rather thorough or something before the Penn State game Wednesday because I thought as of Sunday that this story not only threatened Izzo's career, but it uh, and not only to the university community that's really hurting right now, didn't, you know, owed this from a guy who's beloved. I mean, I think he needs to answer to them a little bit that he did things correct. Um, and he has not been as defiant as D'Antonio either. I think some people want that sort of just assurances that he did things correctly. He's, uh, But I also thought this threatens – he owed his team that because, frankly, this is, um, you know, taking over their season. Now, he's chosen a, a different option, and, and, and he is going to do it on his terms. And um, it, it's interesting to watch because this, in, in this day and age, that doesn't usually happen. When, when a big media story takes place, it usually crushes its subject right or wrong. Sometimes it's absolutely right. Sometimes it, 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 it's premature. And Izzo is pushing back on that, and so it'll be very interesting to see how this plays out. You know, they're in Indiana, they're in Indiana tonight. Indianapolis media will be there. That's where this Larry Nasser mm-hmm. case all started. Uh, they're at Iowa on Tuesday. A lot of road games, a lot of different media, a lot of ESPN games. This is the first ESPN game tonight since uh, the story dropped. So there's a lot of ESPN personnel around. Um, it'll be very interesting to watch. Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Give him a follow, Graham underscore Couch. Uh, Graham, you wrote a couple good things this week. Uh, your your column about Izzo going to kind of do this his way uh, in terms of when he says something. He seems to be focused on the survivors and letting the investigation play out right now. Um, and do you think that do you think personally, do you think he's handling this the right way? And I, I don't know if the D'Antonio route is the right. You just mentioned that. I don't know if that's the right route, but do you think he's handling this the right way and focusing on the, on the survivors and, and not trying to draw attention to himself? Well, in not answering things, he is drawing attention to himself, True. right? This has become a story like the D'Antonio is a lot less the story now, partly because he's not in season, but partly because he was defiant. And, you know, he, he too has some questions to answer, but there isn't regular access to him. Um, and he was so strong on it that, you know, I think that satisfied some people And as this investigation plays out. There's, I mean, that's not enough at the end. Um, but so so I, I don't know. I, I think I would have handled I think Izzo is handling it partly his way. But I think he's also very uncomfortable right now. I mean, he looks different than I've ever mm-hmm. seen. Well, he, so he's definitely uncomfortable. But uh, why do we put all this emphasis on how he, how what he's saying? He's not saying anything. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to be investigated by how many different people, Graham, are, are going to investigate him? He's got the attorney general. He's got the uh, 
I guess the NCAA is going to get involved. He's, he's got the uh, Title IX people, I'm sure. I mean, how many people are going to – he's going to have to talk to them. Oh, sure, he is. And, and we're just not used to – in this day and age, stories move fast. We don't want to wait till six months. You know, like, there's – I mean, this is going to be at least till August before there's really findings in this attorney general report, which is probably the one that's um, – but you have so much stuff happening at campus and so many people hurting. That's not really good enough right now. It, you know, it wasn't good enough for the school president. You cannot be cold and callous to anything involving sexual assault, nor should you be. Right now, and that's but Graham, it, the, the, the president, the president held a responsibility for Nasser. Izzo doesn't have any responsibility for him. Correct, but where, where there where they are tied, and I, I disagree with the way ESPN has done this in terms of the the graphic that shows um, Izzo and Antonio mm-hmm. Nasser. That stuff's irresponsible. There's been a lot of weaving the stories. Sure. But what ESPN, I believe, was trying to do, and there is some fairness, is there is a, um, a systemic issue at Michigan State in terms of listening to victims of sexual assault. Okay. And you can pair these two stories to, together, perhaps. Now, the evidence is flimsy against uh, D'Antonio and Izzo in terms of concrete proof, but there are legitimate questions raised. Mm-hmm. And at this time, and at this day and age, when you're, the Board of Trustees is you know, probably going to be removed. There, nobody trusts them anymore. The, you brought yeah. it. John Engler is the interim president. All this stuff, like the president had to resign. The AD has resigned. And the AD also, and here's the other problem for Izzo and D'Antonio. Mark Hollis resigned on Friday morning and basically gave this impassioned thing about Nasser and the victims and the community needing to heal. But he knew that ESPN report was dropping two hours later. Mm-hmm. And because he had been told, or I knew it was coming, he didn't know it was coming two hours later. But and so, and he didn't look great in that. And and so it looks like there was something to hide when he left, because he didn't really. If you look at all the documents and all the, I, I truly believe Mark Hollis's understanding of uh, what Larry, who Larry Nasser was, and his dealings with him were almost nil. I mean, uh, he was somebody who I think I don't know if he could have survived it long term. But he didn't need to step down when he did. So when he steps down, the ESPN report drops, which makes Hollis look as bad as anybody. Anybody, um, it, it raises more questions. Um, and, and I don't look. Tom Izzo cannot stonewall uh, the questions forever, mm-hmm. but I do believe he can do it a little on his own terms, and he has that kind of cachet. And the other problem for ESPN is the the story has enough holes in it that you don't see the rest of the big media world jumping on this and demanding things from him. And because of that, um, they're standing alone a little bit, and that helps him survive. If this was an airtight thing that made him look horrible, he'd have to be out in front of it very, very fast. And I still think he should answer to it sooner rather than later, mm-hmm. but um, he's able to get get through it at least a little bit so far. Uh, Graham, how did this thing with Nasser go on for so long, and how many people really knew about it? Well, that's what we're going to find out. And some of it was, you know, you had Kathy, Kathy Clagans, the uh, gymnastics coach, and a couple trainers early on. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of missteps by a lot of different people and agencies. Uh, one of the worst that kind of came to light uh, really in the last couple weeks, and, and yesterday they really apologized for it, was in 2004 the Meridian Township Police had a complaint from a young woman who was a high school soccer player at the time and, and and had visited him and, and, and had a rape kit and all that stuff. And they just didn't, 
they believed Nasser and they didn't believe her and, and they didn't support it, the prosecutors. So when it came to prosecutors in 2014, there was nothing to compare it to. Um, but so 97, there's a, you had a, a, a doctor who was a renowned uh, Olympic gymnastics doctor. You had a medical procedure, which in some places done correctly is a legitimate medical procedure. And then you have a doctor who's highly respected, so people want to believe him. And all of it created a circumstance where people believed Nasser and, and instead of these young women. And, and you know, one of the, th- the lessons in all of this is, first of all, you, mandatory reporting is important. If a young woman says this happened, you have to take it to the proper people. Secondly, if you're worried about, like, worst-case scenario, you embarrass yourself. You embarrass Nasser a little bit. But you you didn't, you know, best-case scenario, you stopped something years and years ago. Uh, Michigan State then screwed this up in 2014. I think that's the stuff they're going to be most held accountable for, 2014-15. The Title IX, Title, Title IX case was bungled beyond belief. And then the response in these last few weeks and, and year, but really in the last few weeks, which led to the ousting of the school president as quickly as it did, was callous and cold and done with legalese, and there is a certain point where you have to stop listening to your attorneys and your insurance company because you're going to cut a check that's just so fat you don't even understand mm. what to do with it. Anyway, I mean, it's going to be a $500 million check or something. And so that's going to happen anyway. And like Luana K. Simon, the president of the university, needed to be in court during those seven days of mm-hmm. in the back, silent, listening. I think she had an opportunity up to that point to change the way people thought about her. She wanted to survive this long term, but she could have left on her own terms, made this a priority, sort of put the transition in place. Instead, she she showed up for half of one day, held a really bad press conference where she had sort of a sparring session with one of the victims, and that was it. I mean, you just can't, can't do that. And for somebody who was so good for the university and so good at so many things for so long and an advocate for victims' rights, she was so bad at the end at handling this and um, – and even her final statements after she was fired, it, it's, it was really, I think, painful for the university to see, um, but completely necessary that she go. Well, Graham, we're uh, short on time, but I, I can't let you go without asking. Just the, the two things, and you kind of touched on it, just the investigation of Nasser, the four people that were close to him many years ago, and then the athletic department handling some sexual assault cases and doing their own investigations those two things stand out to me as problems uh, when you have people connected to Larry Nasser looking into his uh, people who were alleging he was committing these assaults and, 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 and things like that. I mean, those two things are, are, are big to me. I mean, is, is this are those two areas that where they really failed when they were handling the sexual assault, sexual assault cases through uh, separate from the Nasser case through the athletic department and then people close to Nasser were looking into him? Yes, those. I mean, absolutely. The the, the Nasser one in 2014, the, the the Title IX case and the panel they had that was four physicians that knew Nasser and worked with him. That, that I mean, he's, I mean, his boss uh, specifically. There's some there's some egregious errors, and those people are, are going to be removed, I believe, and, and uh, paid dearly, perhaps criminally, but definitely with their reputations. And and that is the that is the big thing with the ESPN report is. If, if ESPN or if, if Michigan State did handle some of these investigations within, uh, if Mark Hollis and, and or the coaches uh, were the investigating body, uh, they're in trouble. Now Hollis has already uh, retired or resigned; like he's stepped down. But that would be what would 
would get Antonio Nizzo uh, because that you, you cannot do that in this day and age, and really any day and age recently. I know the Title IX thing has changed since 2011 in terms of the, the directive to report that there, but even to that, that won't be accepted if those investigations were done in-house in any manner. Well, Graham, thanks so much for your time. Uh, great work. Uh, I know uh, Deadspin covered your piece uh, this week as well. Uh, they're they're follow- Deadspin's following you now. I'm just, you made it big time. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, so you only worry about Deadspin if you write something you're embarrassed about. So when they write something that makes them look silly and drives a lot of traffic and eyeballs to your story, I'm all um, I'm all good with that. Yeah, you might got you probably got a few more Twitter followers out of it at the very least. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right, Graham, have a good weekend. Uh, we'll probably be talking to you again as this uh, continues to unfold. Yeah, Graham, thanks for Sounds bringing good. some clarity to this. Appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. Take care, guys. Yep, you too. Bye-bye. That is Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal. He's a sports columnist there. Give him a follow on Twitter. Graham underscore Couch covers the Michigan State Spartans. Take a timeout. We're going to switch over to Major League Baseball. Darren Fletcher, former Illini. His son played for the Illini as well. Played uh, in the Major Leagues for many years. Darren's up next here on Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Absolutely. The one thing that, the one thing you'll find out when guys get going with me, I'm I'm riding that horse till it's. Uh, and I like to run the same play uh, or, or a similar action until uh, the other team till the other team stops it. And then I'm a, I'm very very much a, a a heat check guy. And and Trent's got that kind of uh, that kind of ability. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. 27 degrees at 9.36. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. Still trying to get a hold of Darren Fletcher. Hope we get him here at some point in the show this morning. That was Brad Underwood on uh, heat check shots uh, after the game the other night. And uh, heat check indeed was uh, Trent Frazier. Five consecutive three-pointers, a part of uh, 17 points uh, by the Atlanta to increase a 14-point lead, or increase the lead. Uh, to 32-14 against the Buckeyes, against the Rutgers Scarlet Knights the other night. They line to play the Buckeyes tomorrow. And uh, Trent Frazier just caught fire. Then really, he put that game away uh, yeah, just did. with that big run. When he hit those five, it was over. Yeah, and it's – except, that, you know, they've blown big leads before. But I, I, I felt pretty comfortable. And then, uh, you know, I, at halftime I was doing a couple of things and missed the first couple minutes of the second half. And I, the, the lead ballooned to 57-27 in the game. Uh, was over from that point. And the, that's the, first, the biggest blowout win by the Illini, uh, I'm trying to find this on here, since uh, 2012, I think. At one, the, here it is. Illinois' 31-point margin of victory is the Illini's largest in a Big Ten game since beating Indiana by 31 in 2009, 76-45. So, Lauren, one question that I wanted to ask you. Uh, we've We've talked about this briefly before. Playing weak opponents and how much it helps or doesn't really help you in the long run. Well, it always helps to win games. Yes, it builds confidence. Yes, and, and you can. You've seen teams that are average. It takes a while for them to come down. If if they go into the, let's say they go into the regular season with an eight or nine game winning streak against weak opponents, uh, but I I don't I don't know that it helps you in the long run because you're going to find out about yourself in the Big Ten in the course of the Big Ten. But uh, by the way, uh, uh, there's been so much talk about, and you, you just brought it up about the the uh, margin of victory. I don't think Illinois scored in the last three minutes. <laughs> I don't think they scored a point. I mean, that 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 margin of victory is 
incidental because it could have been 40. Well, they led by as many as 43, so yeah. Yeah, and, and they had all the subs in at the end. So a lot of times uh, the actual number isn't really significant as long as it's clear-cut, and uh, certainly that was clear-cut. 91-54, Matisse Vasile made a free throw with 3.38 to play in the game to reach 91. They didn't that score was again. it. That was it with 3.38 to play. And, when, yeah, when you got the, the bench guys in, you know, the, the guys at the end of the bench, I should say, yeah, you're not going to score much in the last but few minutes of the game. This game tomorrow is really intriguing to me mm -hmm. because I don't think – I mean, Ohio State doesn't have much depth, but they but they play those, those regulars. I mean, they're – They've they've gotten so much out of each position, and uh, it's it's amazing because they th this wasn't so, this wasn't supposed to be the case. This was this was supposed to be a, a second division team, certainly not a. And the other thing to remember about it and, and their success and, and their ten and one and one nine in a row. But remember one other thing: the Big Ten is really down this mm -hmm. year. From the middle down, and and I'm starting with Minnesota, which was a terrific basketball team when the season started, and having lost three of their big time players up front, one before the season and two during, uh, you know, and Lynch, just the presence of Lynch was such a force that we, we what we're seeing is is Northwestern is not the team they were. I mean, I know it was a nice win over Wisconsin and all, and and they've won a couple games lately, but they're not the team they were. Wisconsin's not the team they oh, were. Illinois's not the team they were even last year. No. I mean, it, there's a, just a lot of teams in this in this league that are just way down. And even Maryland is on, the, is on a, I think, a, a bubble. I don't know that Maryland's going to make the NCAA tournament either. Losing uh, Justin Jackson. That really hurt him. Really hurts really, them. And it really hurts when you lose a big, tall guy like that that means so much to your team. And so uh, the Big Ten is down and Ohio State is up. And, and, and uh and I think that the Ohio State, like Purdue, are taking advantage of the situation that they're playing a lot of teams that are mediocre by national standards. Yeah, and I think a couple of weeks ago, you know, three or four weeks ago, it was like maybe four teams from the Big Ten getting in. They might get five now, but I don't see anything beyond five at any point unless something drastically changes or somebody wins the Big Ten tournament. Well, I saw a number, and I, I haven't looked it up in the last four days, but about early this week, I think about Tuesday – there was a report out that the RPI had eight teams in the Big Ten in triple numbers. In other words, a hundred or worse, a hundred or worse in the country, and Northwestern was one hundred right on the number. Mm -hmm. Now they might have pulled up to ninety something, but yeah. but the point is that half the league is is way down. Yep. Well, we're going to go to the phones here. Uh, here, uh, our next guest, we promoted him. Ground ball between first and second. What a set all the way to throw to the plate. It's going to be close. Out! They throw to second. They got Sasser in a run. Down hits him. The runner's going to try to score another throw at the plate. And both runners are out at the plate. Both runners. What an end to an inning. A blast deep right center field, and he's done it again. Fifth career grand slam for the Blue Jays catcher, Darren Fletcher. A low fastball, and you can see Johnson had set up outside. Jason Johnson knew it was gone. You can tell by the resounding crack of the bat, and it's into that second deck. Darren Fletcher, Major League major Leaguer, former Illini. Darren? Good morning. How are you? 
Where'd you guys get those highlights? At? <laughs> you know, I uh, I looked My them up this goodness. morning. Yeah, I looked up this morning, and the I was I just watching a couple different things. I was watching a few minutes of an, an interview you had uh, when the reunion thing for the Expos several years ago, and then I saw the highlights of the two guys getting thrown out at home in a bizarre play. Were you blocking the plate, Darren? <laughs> I must have been. But where was the uh, where was the uh, VCR tape that you pulled that out from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds like it, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, the. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I, I was uh, almost before the digital age on highlights, but yeah, I, I, you know what? I, I was hearing it. I can't particularly remember the play. Was there two guys out at the plate or something? Yeah, I hit both times. Okay, I have seen that one. Yeah, there was the uh, I believe it was a base hit, and they threw the guy out at home, and then they, they got another guy in a rundown. And the ball hit the guy in the rundown, and then they threw home, and you were standing right there to tag the guy out. And then I was just like, "What a what a wild play! Two guys out at home yeah. to end the to end the inning." To end the inning, I think it was in Montreal. So. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Going Darren, Montreal, before we yeah. get off that, what's Go your ahead, what's your reaction to the way uh, the plays uh, the plays at home are called now? We've seen some really controversial calls about this whole business of blocking. What's your what's your thinking? What 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 do you think about it? Well, I think that the um, I, I think it's a I think it's a I think it's a in my opinion it would be if if he can't hit me, Lauren. I think it's a huge advantage to the catcher in my opinion because then I can kind of use my body as a as a shield and expect him not to really hit me. I guess. Um, you know, but then I guess you run the uh, you run the risk of being called for interference or something. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, you know, you think back to I guess Ray Fossey is the famous one in my kind of when I was a boy when Pete Rose hit him in the uh, All Star game and it really kind of cost him some years playing. And then, of course, the rule is named after that kid in um, in San Francisco. Um, was a posy rule or something? Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, there's there, there's a couple instances instances where people are getting hurt, but I mean, I you know, I'm I'm 51 years old and I played in, a, in an era where you could hit the catcher and and I didn't mind it. I mean, I I actually when I played, I was expecting to get hit and I and I felt like I was the last defense for the team to not allow the run to score. So I would try to do anything I could to make sure that he didn't get there. And, you know, did I ever block the plate um, before I had the ball? Yeah, I, I, I certainly did. Um, you know, but it's kind of a bang-bang thing and expecting to be hit and it's just a matter of holding on to the ball. I mean, I guess the short answer would be no, I don't particularly like the, I don't particularly like the, uh, the rule. Former did, you, did you ever get hurt, Darren? I, I, I mean, on a play at home. Yeah, I, I I was put on the disabled list in Baltimore one year. I got hit at the plate, and um, actually, it wasn't really my upper body. I got my ankle caught underneath me with my spikes, and um, and kind of rolled my ankle and had some um, had some ligament damage. You know, high high um, high ankle sprain, and put my you know it put me on the dis- dis- uh, disabled list. But that's the only one that I feel like I got hit and um, hit and you know really hurt me. Well. well now I think about it, I remember one night now in Los Angeles, remember Lenny Webster? Mm-hmm. I think he, Lenny was, Lenny played for the Cubs for a little bit, big guy. He looked like a running back in, in football, you know, big upper body. And he hit me one night in L.A. so hard that, um, that I felt, well, I did. I, it was like, a, like a, a thin veil coming over my eyes that were <laughs> almost like I blacked out and then I came back to again. Um, you know, so, yeah, you get, you get hit, but... You know, I haven't. Uh, 
I haven't really noticed too much, other than I am forgetting where my keys are at a lot of times now, <laughs> I you didn't. Know? I didn't <laughs> catch it. I never know where my keys are. You know, are. I'm wearing a lot of purple with red, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm leaving my gas can, you know, gas top off my car a lot as I'm driving, so maybe I am in trouble. <laughs> That's all right. I've done that before, and I, I, I don't, don't, the only way I know where my keys are if I put them in the exact same place every time or I just right. have no idea. Darren Fletcher joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Career batting average of 269, 124 home runs and 583 runs batted in. Darren, uh, two really uh, things that's come up lately with Major League Baseball's pitchers and catchers report next week. Uh, that's uh, always a fun time, but fans wait for baseball to come around. But nobody's really talking about that. They're talking about the pace of game discussion and Rob Manfred and the pitching clock and putting a runner at second base in the extra innings to try to speed up the ending of games that go into extras. I personally, like the average game last year was three hours and five minutes. Rob Manfred says if you can get it to 255, then I'm okay. 10 minutes I mean that doesn't to me that not one fan is going to notice a 10 minute difference and I just don't see a problem there are some pace things guys stepping out of the batter's box too much uh with messing with their you know their gloves and things like that batting gloves but do you think the game needs to be messed with this pitching clock nonsense and the and the putting a runner at second base stuff no, I don't. I, I don't see it. I mean, uh, I've you know I played amateur games when I was coaching. You know where they played those international rules where they put a guy at second base to speed it up, and I've seen that. You know, I guess. I, I you know it, it. My thing is that you know I, I've always looked back and remember those games where I did play fourteen, fifteen innings. Mm-hmm. It was kind of fun, you know. And um, as a fan, I, it's I'm, fun I'm for a me. Purist. I don't. I don't particularly like it. I know games are long. That is an issue. Um, and I don't, you know, whether it's the time in between for the commercials or what. Now I've, you know, I've watched, I've watched a lot of college baseball over the last few years, and you know, why do they play nine innings and they play nine innings like under two hours and uh, and a half, you know? So um, I think the game can be played quickly. Um, you know, I think it's a combination of a lot of different things. I think a lot of offense, a lot of home runs, big time in between. Um, if, in my opinion, if you really want to speed up a game, and I say this even at the youth level, if, if you want to speed up the game, widen the strike zone. Make the, yeah. make the, the hitters swing the bat, call strikes, um, don't keyhole it, as we'd say. Don't make them throw it right down in the middle of a little barrel to, uh, to call a strike. If you, if you open it up behind the plate, it's going to speed everything up. But, by, you know, the way, by the way, Darren, it was wider in the old days before they – Started. Oh yeah! I mean, absolutely, Lauren. <laughs> I I remember when Maddox was pitching, and if he got it within six inches of the outside corner, it was a strike. Oh yeah, I remember playing. I remember one night in the Texas League, and uh, Ramon Martinez was pitching. This is the older brother of Pedro Martinez, and Ramon mm-hmm. was a, you know, big prospect with the Dodgers, and it was in Texas, I think, in Midland, and he threw an hour and a half game, nine innings. Oh, really? Wow. Hour and a half. Well, you know, so it was a 7 o'clock game, and we were out of there before the sun went down in Texas. So, <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, yeah, so I, 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 my opinion, it's the strike zone. I think, I think everything's so tight, and they're so worried about this. Um, they're all so worried about, you know, on TV where they have a the little box, and if they're right. slightly off, that, you know, and they're getting, they're getting complained at a lot if the ball's slightly out, you know. Um, yeah, that's what I noticed when I changed leagues from the National League to the American League back in, all the way back in 1998. I felt the, the National League was a quicker game because they called more strikes. It was a fastball league. Guys, guys um, 
they, they, they swung the bat early in the count, and the pace of play was better. Usually the pitcher was always an out, you know, or he was bunting. It was a, it was a faster game. When I went to the American League, it was a hitter's game. The, in my opinion, the, the strike zone was smaller. Um, they took a lot of pitches. Uh, uh, pitches. They were looking for to try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. Much, much slower game. And that for some reason, it looks like that that type of game has leaked into the into the big leagues now. The, the, with the pitching clock, as as a as a catcher yourself, and working with a lot of pitchers, so you worked with a lot of great pitchers over the years. How much does that impact them in the back of their mind, knowing I've got to get this pitch off in, in, in 20 seconds or less, whatever it could end up being if Manfred does institute this? Does that hurt them in their ability to pitch well if they're being a little bit more rushed? Or do you think 20 seconds is plenty of time and they'd be okay? Well, I, I mean, my thing is, is personally I think a pitcher should deliver the ball within 20 seconds. Okay. I'm just kind of against the whole notion of actually somehow um, making a rule for it and forcing them to do this. In my opinion, as a catcher, I always didn't like it when the pitcher too, took too much time anyway because it was like you, you, your infield's on their heels, it slows up the game, everybody kind of just – it just puts everybody kind of half asleep if a guy's working slow. So I was and, – and, and a lot of my managers that I, I played for said, um, Fletch, make him speed it up, you know, get him on the mound, get him to deliver the ball things. The pace of the game is much better if you get him to work a little quicker. And I don't think that needs to be um, – you know, I don't think that needs to be legislated at the big league level. I think it just needs to be policed from in, and you should have more guys telling the catchers and everybody, hey, you're too slow, you've got to speed this up. I'm going to ask you one more question about this. What about visits to the mound? Catcher visits yeah. to the mound – uh, a pitching coach visits to the mound. Are those necessary? Yeah, I mean they are necessary because a lot of times it's just a it's a strategy to get somebody up in the bullpen. There's a lot of times when I was catching that the manager, or the pitching coach, gave me the talk talk sign, sure. and I just simply strolled out there to sure. to kill some time to get somebody ready. And and you know the I don't I don't know I don't. I, I just don't like all. I don't like a lot of rules. You know, <laughs> all these different rules just mess it up. I don't. I don't particularly like the. You know, it slows the game down for me, and I think it slows down the collegiate football game. It slows down the NFL game. It slows down the baseball game. Um, is the ability to 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 review these plays. You know, it's like there's oh, always yeah. a, big, a kind of a stoppage, and everyone's looking around and saying, "Well, let's look up at the booth and do this." I mean, you know, maybe the NFL is a little bit. It needs to be done because the plays are happen so quickly and this and that. But I, I don't think there's any place for it in baseball, in my opinion. You know, I, I don't particularly like it. You know, the, the ones that my friends complain about is that slide into second base on a steal where they slightly pop up and the guys are holding the glove down right. on them. Right. And oh. they know that just nature is when you slide in, you hit the bag that you slightly pop up and you're not in contact with the base anymore. And they look at that in a slow-mo and say, yeah, he kind of slightly came off, and they call him out. And we're going, what is that? That's not, that's not how baseball was meant to be played. It was basically back in the day, is if the, if the uh, runner beat the ball there, you're safe. And if, if the ball beat you there and there was a, uh, a tag made, you're out. You know? I don't know. It's just it's, it's too high-tech. You know, don't get me going on all these analytics. Oh, no, I love it. We can keep going. Uh, well, no, Darren, Darren I'm going to throw you over to the University of Illinois a little bit because I know you've had a son playing there. You've got a son coaching there, don't you? Yeah, Casey's a volunteer assistant. Okay, with, well, uh, tell you, I'm sure you have inside information. How's the pitching staff going to be? Because we know that the lineup's going to be really solid based on last year. They've got everybody back. Casey's telling me it's a good team. You know, I think uh, last year – 
like you said, the pitching was a little down. This year, they got a kid that transferred over from Eastern that I think is going to help, um, and he sat out a year. And then they've got another guy that transferred in from Louisville, yep. I guess. Yep. And, um, and the word is that he looks real good, too. So, um, you know, I, I, they, they've got a lot of arms, and their, their offense looks pretty good. So I know it was a little bit of a down year, but the expectations right now are pretty good. Yeah, by the way, Hayes is not coming back. The lefty who uh, redshirted last year was injured and was uh, had another year of eligibility. He's not back, and Schilling's hurt. At least I saw his hand uh, was wrapped, and I don't believe he'll be, be uh, available for the first half of the season or so. So that doesn't help the pitching staff. I mean, but I think they got a lot of younger arms that look to me like they have a chance, at least Weber and some others, uh, I, that uh, that – you know, and that'll be the key. I know we talk about all these other things, but it still comes down to getting people out, doesn't it? Oh, oh yeah. It's it's all about pitching, in my opinion. Got to have good pitching. And you know, the years that they they went to the super sectional and all that, it were really you had guys that were pitching midweek that would have been a Friday or Saturday starter for um, for uh, for other Big Ten teams. I mean, I remember in yeah, 2015 when they went to the super sectional, they had Cody Sedlock which was ended up being a number one draft choice. He was struggling to get innings in and starts, <laughs> you know, midweek. You know, they used him in long relief. You know, so it was, it was a lot of depth that year. But this year there's a couple names that no one has heard of that I think people will, will uh, stand up and take a, attention to once the season starts if they kind of, um, you know, if they, they live up to the billing. New theory on professional baseball. The key – position right now is hold on bullpen the last (laughs) four innings of the games the the starting pitchers are averaging less than six innings across the board you better have somebody ready for the seventh eighth and ninth and if you don't you can't win yeah no and they get paid a lot too lauren you need to come out of retirement (laughs) (laughs) but isn't that isn't that different doesn't that differ a lot from when you played i mean were relief pitch was relief pitching so vital then? Uh, you know what it 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 was moving towards that. I think the specialty of um, you know the specialty position of the closer and the there, there was definitely a move towards this setup closer type thing. Yeah. And I think when I played the the playbook was being taken from the Yankees when the Yankees had when the Yankees had like a guy like Mike Stanton they had. Um, they had John Wetland, they had a guy named um, Jeff Nelson, and then they had Mariana Rivera. So they took a playbook out of that on seeing how that they could use a seventh-inning guy, eighth-inning guy, and then a closer to win a lot of games. Um, and that's, it's gone definitely that way. Um, you know, they protect the pitching. You know, these guys are making $20 million a year, and they don't want to blow them out, you know. Yeah. So, it, uh, I, you know, it, 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 I think – I was kind of in the era where it was definitely making a move towards the bullpen, Lauren, but I was just, just right at the beginning of it. You know that era of back in the 70s and, and 80s, it was definitely starting pitching. You know, I think of Nolan Ryan, I think of Carlton, uh, Steve Carlton. I think those guys that just continue to went out there and, and do it. Um, you know, there, there isn't as many out there. I mean, we just lost one. You know, I played with Roy Halladay, yeah. and, you know, Roy really was – in my opinion, when he played, he was a throwback to that different era because he finished a lot of games, didn't want to come out of a lot of games, and he was left in there to fend for himself and win it or lose it on his own. Um, 
Before we let you go, Darren, uh, I know that you mentioned Roy Halladay played with a lot of great players. Um, he had great seasons in 99 and 2000, 38 home runs over those two seasons. But how I, I know 94 didn't end the way uh, that you wanted to. The season didn't get to end. Um, had the strike. But he plays with guys like Larry Walker and Pedro Martinez on, on that team. How often do you look back and just think about how great of a talent you had on that team and, and what a special opportunity it was to play with those guys? Yeah, just young and up-and-coming guys, and they all, you know, we they were all good at that time, but you could kind of sense that, that going forward that these guys were going to be all great contributors, you know, um, you know, in their careers. But we, we all knew, though, that we couldn't stay together in Montreal. It just was the, the finances were never going to work in Montreal. So it was kind of one of those deals where we knew we maybe had one or two years together, and then we were, we were all going to basically graduate from Montreal and go on to other teams. Um, you know, great players. Uh, Pedro Martinez is a Hall of Famer in both. You know, he's in Cooperstown, and he just was elected. Uh, Canada has their own Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. And he was elected in that. And um, I think Larry Walker is a Hall of Famer in the U.S. Okay. I think he's a, I think in my opinion, um, really the two best position players that I felt like I played against, talent-wise, if you look at the total package, was number one Barry Bonds. You know, mm. love him or hate him, Barry Bonds. And number two, I thought Larry Walker. Larry Walker was similar to, to Barry Bonds and that he could hit for power, he could hit, hit for average, he could run, he could throw, he could play defense. Um, he had, you know, baseball smarts off the charts. So I think he's a Hall of Famer. Um, you know, I played with a lot of great players. Wetland. Um, mm-hmm. I am going to go to Mon- I'm going to Montreal at the end of March, and they always do a. Uh, they always kind of rally up uh, the fans, and the Blue Jays come over for a two-game end of the spring training series before everyone breaks for camp, and they're playing the Cardinals this year. So that's going to be fun at the Big O. They've been doing that just to kind of beat the drum for a possible expansion or a major league team moving, you know, back up to Montreal. So there's usually 40 or 50,000 people there watching these two spring training games. And I'm going to go up for a fundraiser and say hello to Mike Matheny and the Cardinals, I guess. Yeah, I was going to ask you, uh, do you think that Montreal will get another team at some point in the future? Because I saw the, you know, the highlights of the one game that with Toronto was playing a few years ago up there and uh, the place was packed. Yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of interest. My thing is that they've got to they've got to figure out the the stadium situation. Yeah. I don't think the Olympic Stadium is a stadium that is a that it could last very long. It's it, it's in an odd spot. Um, it's covered, in my opinion. Canadians and Montrealers they they want to have a, the top off. They want to go have a convertible when the weather's good. And there's you know plenty of days up there where the weather's great. And um, they need to have a better retractable stadium and probably downtown. But it takes a lot of money and a lot of, a lot of things to happen to make it work. And I think in Montreal it's, it may have to be one of these deals where if you build it, they will come. You know, I don't think you can have them come up there and then all of a sudden hope that they build the stadium because then they'd be right back to where they were, you know, 20 years ago. Well, Darren, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Uh, maybe call Rob, Rob, Rob Manford and get him to stop these uh, new rule ideas and <laughs> prevent them from messing with the game. I don't no, think No, I don't like rules. No <laughs> rules. Just let them well, they're play. postponing some of them until next year. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Right. All, all right, right well, thanks, guys. Yep, have a good weekend. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. It's Darren Fletcher, former Illini, former Major League Baseball uh, player, joining us here on Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Stay tuned. We're going to switch back over to Illini basketball. Paul Keels, the voice of the Ohio State Buckeyes football and men's basketball teams, is going to join us. That's coming up next here on DWS. David Lighty will be the inbounder from the back baseline. Inbounds Turner, left side of the backcourt. Turner crossed the timeline, throws it from high on the right. He, he makes it! He hit it! He, he makes it! 
corner. He hit it just inside of half court. Evan Turner at the buzzer knocks down a long three from high on the right. You got to be kidding as Evan Turner hits a shot that everybody dreams of. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. That's Paul Keels, the voice of the Ohio State Buckeyes. Evan Turner's 2010 Big Ten tourney game winner against the Michigan State or Michigan Wolverines, courtesy of the Ohio State IMG Radio Network. Paul, good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Not too good. I'm sure you don't get tired of hearing that highlight. I'm sure you. And that was a crazy, crazy moment in, in that game. Well, that was a big blast from the past, and, you know, when you think about Evan Turner, you know, who played three years, you really think about a guy who made uh, such progress with his game. He was a turnover machine as a true freshman, uh, much like David Lighty, and, you know, those are two of the players in recent years who really, I mean, not just because of the coaching, but because of their own individual makeup, two guys on their own who really worked hard at their game. And Evan did so to the point of becoming a national player of the year. So, uh, you know, that, that's a good dose of some of the Ohio State basketball from the past. Well, let's get to the, to the present and this season. Ohio State 10-1 and in the Big Ten. Paul, we got to ask you, uh, did you see anything close to this good of a season this year? You're there around the team a lot. Uh, you're around in the offseason, so you, you have a, a close and uh, upfront up view of things. Did you see anything like this coming this year? No, not at all. I, I think it has surprised everybody. But there's some sig- significant factors uh, that are part of it. Number one, having a healthy Kata Bates D up. Uh, you know, he only played in nine games last year before taking a medical redshirt uh, with surgery for a stress fracture in his leg. And, and even the previous coaching staff uh, the summer before last season was ranting and raving about how well he was playing before his injury started to catch up with him. I think the other big factor – uh, you've kind of had a little addition by subtraction. Uh, there, there were some influences in the locker room for players who are no longer there that really were a deterrent to this basketball team. And, uh, you know, before the coaching change was made in the summer, those issues had been taken care of uh, with a couple of players who had eligibility to return but uh, uh, did not. Uh, one was asked not to return, uh, or actually one quit, and then was asked when he wanted to come back to the team, uh, was told no thank you, and another who uh, left early uh, for professional basketball. So I think those are, are a couple of the big factors. But also you look at uh, the improved play of a guy like C.J. Jackson, uh, you know, who has improved offensively, has improved his ball handling. So when you combine all of those things, uh, it, it really has, has brought us to where we are, uh, not even expecting that this team would be at this level. Well, um, the, of course, you mentioned Kata Bates-Diop, but uh, several guys, Jay Sean Tate, uh, Caleb Wesson. Uh, Caleb Wesson is having a great season. Uh, to, uh, kind of uh, break him down for us a little bit, more than 11 points a game and five rebounds a game, and he's really uh, having a good season inside. Well, I think he's a guy that has benefited, uh, number one, from outstanding coaching in high school. Uh, he played on a team that, that went to a couple of state championship games and won one of them. Uh, but a guy that, that really has got a great grasp of what it is that he can do to this basketball team. He, he's a very good passer for a big guy. Uh, he's a very unselfish player. You know, going into tomorrow's game, he's made his last 12 consecutive field goals. So he's a guy that takes advantage of, uh, you know, his size, knowing how to use his body. Uh, you know, he, he's dropped a bunch of weight to get into better shape. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that, that really is, uh, uh, you know, 
bought into what it is that they're trying to do, not trying to force things to come to him offensively. He's improved with, you know, not getting into foul trouble like he did earlier in the season. But, but a guy that, that kind of reminds you, for those who, who may remember, he's a little bit of a poor man's Terrence Dials right now, okay. uh, but has been a very, very big part of what this team has done. Paul, it looks to me like, this is Lauren, it looks to me like you've got five guys that fit their, each fit their positions. And uh, it isn't all, you know, sometimes you get, te- you inherit teams that aren't that way, but it looks like you've got just the right guy for each position. Not a lot of depth, I don't think, but uh, the, the five starters have been, uh, I mean, they've just peaked out, haven't they? They certainly have, Lauren, and, and you, you hit the nail on the head. They're playing together, and, and that's the last couple of years. Uh, because of some of the influences of players no longer there, they weren't always playing together. You know, there were some guys that had some selfish motivations. Um, but this team is is all about winning. They're all about playing together. I mean, you look at a guy like Jayshon Tate, who last year was needed to score more with Kata being out. Now Jayshon isn't scoring as much. He's being more of a complementary and a and a facilitating type of player. You know, the improvement of C.J. Jackson, I think certainly. Uh, you know, Caleb Wesson, who was anticipated to do all of the things that he did, you know, or at least a great deal of the things coming in. And, you know, I, I don't know that people really realized, Lauren, how good Caleb was going to be, both offensively and defensively. We had a pretty good idea. And as far as depth, they've gotten a little more depth than, than maybe people thought they would. Andrew Dockich has been a wonderful mm-hmm. surprise yeah. as a graduate transfer at point guard. Andre Weston does a lot of things that don't show up in the stat sheet, but has been helpful to this team. I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't know that. that, that you're... Micah Potter has really, you know, been a, a good support player. So their depth has been a little pleasantly surprising. Not a ton of it, but but some of it's been quality. Paul, I didn't know you're allowed to go back and forth between Ohio State and Michigan. Is that possible? Well, no, 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 no. Uh, it, it, it's not <laughs> ideal. And and actually, he was Lauren. If my I, he was going to go someplace else, it was either. Uh, Stony Brook or Quinnipiac uh, to be a grad transfer, and that kind yeah. of fell apart. And there was just a need there. And obviously, you know, Chris Holtman was aware of him uh, from being in the state of Indiana. And, uh, you know, the, the great thing about what Andrew's done, he's come in and, and he knows his role. He doesn't try and do things that he can't do. And, and he's also been a, a really, by a lot of people's accounts, he's been a real good leader in practice, in the locker room, and things like that. Paul, what, uh, bring us up to date on Thad Mata. Well, uh, Thad and, and his family moved to Indianapolis uh, in early August. Um, you know, it was an unfortunate situation for a guy. I mean, he's the all-time winningest coach in Ohio State history. I think that says a lot. Um, you know, and I know I talked to you a lot, and Lauren, Thad is just one of the, the, the greatest people, uh, along with his wife, that you will ever meet. Uh, I think people felt badly about how this situation played out. Uh, it, certainly there's been a lot of speculation had Kata not gotten hurt last year Thad is probably still coaching this basketball team yeah. uh, but he's but they're living in Indianapolis right now uh, he's not doing anything with coaching uh, had a chance to see Thad the night before the Big Ten football championship game in Indy uh, looks great feels great not having to run up and down the court not having to get up and down off the bench in that high chair that he had uh, but, I, but I would suspect if he wants to uh, and that's the key if he wants to we probably will see we may see Thad coaching someplace else. Is he okay uh, physically to do that? Yeah, you know, here's the thing, Lauren. I, you know, and he, guys, I think that there was a little bit of a misconception, and for those who may not know, Thad, uh, back in after the 2007 Final Four, had a back surgery that went bad, and it left him with nerve damage in his leg that created drop foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, his health is not any worse. What, what everybody would see is just kind of the, the fatigue and the wear and tear of a season, 
uh, of all of the movement that he had to do and everything else. So, but his his health is no worse. That's a good thing. Um, and I, you know, for a guy who was a big golfer and a big jogger, he's had to settle down to the elliptical. But you know, Thad's going to be always uh, held highly in Ohio State history. You know, one of these days they're going to have him back there to to drop a banner in the arena. I'm certain to acknowledge everything he's done with, you know, nine combined Big Ten championships, two Final Fours, a national championship appearance. Um, you know, I think what that did spoke for itself. It's just unfortunate the last couple of years, uh, and, you know, the last couple of years with recruiting, too, it just wasn't it wasn't up to the standard that he had set previously. When you said nine combined, are you counting uh, Big Ten tournaments? Big Ten tournament and regular season championships. That's a lot. Nine combined. That's a lot of championships. But, you know, the thing that would worry me about Thad would be his ability to, you know, to be an energetic recruiter and travel a lot and do all those things with that, with the back problem or the foot problem. I mean, I just seem, it just seemed like he, uh, boy, that'd be tough on him. Well, you know, I think the, the, the good thing is, is if it maintains where it is and his health is no worse, um, then, then I don't, and, and plus once you get to know him and you're around him, I think that would sell itself. I, you know, the, the unfortunate thing that developed was uh, Thad's health was being used as a negative recruiting tool against him. I mean, there, there was a story that came out last year that, uh, you know, that there was a player who eventually did come to Ohio State, but he was informed by a competing coach that uh, Thad was going to die. Oh, uh, oh, so I, come on. Yeah. So, no, seriously, seriously. Um, wow. And that, that's why uh, Gene Smith pulled out a statement during the Big Ten tournament about you know, their commitment to Thad Mott. And obviously that changed a couple of months later. But, uh, yeah, so I think that was the issue. The negative recruiting uh, is something that, that would be an obstacle he'd have to overcome. Paul Keels joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. The Illini play the Buckeyes at 11 a.m. Central Time. Noon for you, Paul. Don't get there too early. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow in Columbus, so Vodding Illini game day gets underway at uh, 9.30 t- tomorrow morning. Chris Holtman, back to the Chris Holtman here, and what has he done uh, for this team? Just maybe not in game, but what is, what has he changed? What has he done uh, for this team to, to kind of swing things a little bit? Besides getting Diop back, of course. Well, I, Michael, I think that one of the things is, is he's brought kind of that enthusiasm, the new voice, uh, a little bit of a uh, a new twist that new coaches bring in their first year. Um, you know, and, I, and, and quite honestly, based on the previous subject, there's there's a lot of similarities with Chris and Thad. But you know, both having been at Butler, uh, just mm-hmm. their approach, just the kind of people they are, there's a lot of similarities to that. But I think the other thing, as far as on the court, when they first got to work with stuff, uh, it, it was very basic. It was very simple. It wasn't a ton of plays. It was uh, take a few plays and really focus on how to run them. Uh, you know, I think that certainly what they've done from there has kind of expanded things a little bit. They've they've shown with what Kata can do that he's a guy that, you know, can play down low. He can play from the outside. They've run a lot of things that take advantage of that. And defensively, I think you've seen them, you know, selectively use a little bit of zone defense, but also really defensively take advantage of what it is that Kata can do. And, and, and a guy like Jay Sean Tate, who's always played with a ton of energy, C.J. Jackson, who who can be very disruptive, and even Andrew Dockage with what he's done defensively, uh, they've really been able to make some strides uh, that they couldn't do last year defensively. Um, but I think also the the other thing, and it, and it may sound like Coach Beak or it may sound simple, they've taken a very good one game at a time approach, and and meaning by that they, you know, when they were in Portland in November, they they let a 15 point lead get away and lost to Butler. Uh, they immediately tried to learn from it, but put it behind them. Uh, you know, came home a couple games later, 
came from double digits down and beat Michigan. Uh, whenever they've had a game that's gone well and they've played really well, it's it's been, okay, learn from it, uh, clean up things from it, but then turn their attention immediately to the next game, which which I think in this compressed schedule, because of the tournament being a week mm-hmm. earlier, it, it's really helped this team, and that's something that Chris and his staff have done a very good job with. Paul, is Urban Meyer going to get any recruits in uh, this season? <laughs> yeah, he seems to never get any. <laughs> like like he always does, yeah. they. <laughs> And, you know, and like most of the folks with the early signing period, they've taken care of most of their business with that early signing period. Uh, you know, I know most people are calling them like maybe one of the top two or three recruiting classes in the country. And, you know, the biggest question with Ohio State football, what's life going to be like without JT Barrett? Uh, yeah. You know, the good thing is, you know, there was a, a pretty good sampling of what Dwayne Haskins could do. You know, will it be he and Joe Burrow battling for that? But I think there's there certainly are enough other pieces with the returners. Uh, that they'll, and you guys know, there'll be optimism around here for Ohio State football, but, but they expect when signing day comes, uh, even though most of it's already been taken care of, that uh, you know they'll have one of the classes that's again looked at as one of the tops in the country. Even with all the people that leave as seniors, it looks to me like you, you, you can't take 25 this year. I mean, I, at least uh, what, uh, what I saw, how, how many did he sign in the early period? Was you know, you got me off guard there, Lauren. I don't have, was number it, one, I was don't Was it have like it, so 14 or something? I, it seemed yeah, like you know, and I, I, I would hate to say because I might be incorrect. Plus, the other thing, uh, since I don't have to deal with signing day this year because <laughs> Ohio State's at Purdue that day, I, I haven't put that much focus on it. The bigger question around here, Lauren and Michael, is, you know, they've lost one assistant coach. Kerry Combs uh, went to the Tennessee Titans to join Mike Vrabel. He was their cornerbacks mm-hmm. coach and special teams coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were reports that came out yesterday now that Greg Schiano is going to inter- uh, may interview with New England for their defensive coordinator wow, position, really? uh, assuming assuming Matt Patricia does become the new head coach of the Detroit Lions. So, you know, the big thing around here may be how is he going to fill one and, and possibly two assistant coaching staffs with people that have been of great value to him. Well, I was trying to understand what's going on as offensive coordinator. Is Wilson still the offensive coordinator? You know, and and that's another, Lauren, confusing thing. Both he and Ryan Day are still offensive coordinators. Um, but I think what they did is they kind of gave Ryan Day a little bit of a promotion and, and more uh, input in, the, in what will be the play calling during the game situation. Although I think there's a lot of people who believe that really it's Urban who calls the plays anyway. Uh, but Kevin Wilson is still the offensive coordinator. Um, you know, you guys know from having watched him at Indiana, uh, his offensive imprint was big on what they did this past year. Uh, he is of high value as well as what Ryan Day is. And, uh, you know, I think Kevin Wilson is another guy we probably will see somewhere in the, not too far down the road surface again as a head coach someplace. But uh, he, they both are offensive coordinators. It's just in this day of co-coordinators and dividing duties, it, it's hard for us lay people to understand how it works. Paul Keels joining us on Saturday Sports Talk. Uh, Paul, Greg, back to Greg Schiano and, and the situation that was with Tennessee, and and he's kind of mo- avoided really commenting on, on that situation. Uh, really, not much to say there at this point. But now looking to go to New England, is he trying to get out of Columbus and, and get back to the NFL, or be leading a program somewhere, or, or is he pretty comfortable there if he, if he ends up staying there? Well, as you can imagine, Michael, he hasn't really spoken a whole lot about that situation yeah. since the fiasco at Tennessee. Um, the only thing that we kind of have been given the indication of when he first got here, and not just with Greg, but with others who were in that kind of level, uh, Urban really kind of expects two years from them before you know they might jump to another head coaching position. Um, I think he's very comfortable here, even more so with the way that Ohio State came out in support of him after the whole situation developed at Tennessee. So I don't think he's looking to get out of Columbus and, and is very comfortable 
with the situation as it exists here. But I think certainly he's a guy that, that probably envisions being a head coach, either collegiately or professionally, again, at some point in time. Um, you know, I know that he's, uh, from what I understand, uh, he and his wife and his kids have been very comfortable with where they live, where his, his kids are in school at. I believe one of his sons is a, is a pretty highly regarded high school football player. Uh, so I don't think that it's he's looking to get out. But, you know, outside of the, the unfortunate situation that developed at Tennessee, his stock is still viewed pretty highly by people. So I think that's what has kind of led to, you know, the possibility of this situation with New England. Well, Paul, we're going to send uh, Brian Barnhart, Ed Bond, and, and the crew your way. Uh, take good care of them, and uh, at least Brian anyway. We'll leave uh, Ed out in the cold, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, we always look forward to seeing those guys. Sorry we don't get to make a trip to Champaign this year, but uh, – you know, I, and from what I understand, uh, this may be one of the uh, the, the most uh, highly attended home games of the year. Uh, the, the ticket people have said there's about 16,000 wow. tickets that are out for this game. Yeah. I don't know if it's just that it's a Sunday, it's a noon game, whatever the deal is. Uh, but, you know, maybe it's people are really starting to, to catch on to how well this team's playing. So. Hopefully it'll make for a great atmosphere. Yeah, and it's early enough ahead of the Super Bowl. People got time to go to the game and then, and then get uh, their party plan going. That might have a lot to do with it, too. <laughs> All right, Paul, have a great broadcast tomorrow. All right, take care, guys. Thanks, Thanks Paul. That's Paul Keels, the voice of the Ohio State Buckeyes, football and men's basketball. And uh, he's having a good year, a good school year, Lauren, with, a, with the football team just missing the playoffs and then uh, the Buckeyes 10-1 and and Big Ten play. Well, Lauren, I mentioned the Super Bowl. Coming up next, I'm going to test your football knowledge. Oh, well, if it's about pro football, I'm in trouble. Well, it's just football knowledge in general. I think you might be okay. (laughs) But also test the listeners' football knowledge. Uh, We'll we'll, we'll see what you guys know. That's coming up next here on Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. They've led wire to wire. They've won a lot of games. Uh, They honestly haven't been in a lot of close games. I mean, they've won, you know, a whole bunch of games by, you know, 10 points or or more. And, and, um, several by 20 or more i realize it's a 60 minute game and however it shakes out you know whether ultimately you've got to figure out how to win in the fourth quarter and if it comes down to that we got to have confidence that we can go down the field and score to win the game i'm definitely at a different phase of my life but i appreciate this experience and i really enjoyed obviously the postseason to get to this point is a big task and uh, we battled there's been a lot of resiliency over the course of the year i think like everyone you learn you grow as you go and hopefully we're at our very best this particular week Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Bill Belichick, the most boring guy in the NFL, and Tom Brady on tomorrow's Super Bowl 52 in Minneapolis between the Eagles and the Patriots, seeking their second straight championship and sixth overall. Lauren, it would just be their third title in four years. No big deal. That's not that's certainly that, that's not that good. It'll be the second time, by the way. If they're able to pull this off, it'll be the second time that the Patriots have won three titles in four years with Belichick as coach and Brady as quarterback. That does not happen too often. Well, it's amazing what happens in the fourth quarter of these games oh. and, and because they just uh, you know, manage to come back every time and overlooked is the fact that they don't give up any points either. I mean, the, the other team, uh, the opponent, regardless of who it is, seems to seem to always kind of go into a shell and, and hope they can hang on, and Brady's got that last shot to win, and or you know, fourth quarter to win, and he pulls it out. Jacksonville had that happen to them, and I and I said in the in the fourth quarter of that game, with about ten or eleven minutes to go, I said if Jacksonville tries to sit on this ball and hope they can run out the clock, they will lose this game. I mean, that's and that wasn't some anybody could have said that, but I just Tom Brady 
scores in the fourth quarter. You better score. And New England did this in the Super Bowl last year. They were down 28-3. to Atlanta did not score again. Everybody talks about Tom Brady and the, and the 31 points he well, put up. If you, don't, if you elect not to pass the ball mm-hmm. and, you're, and the other team knows you're going to run the ball, they're going to stop you. Yeah. If the other team knows you're going to run, and that's what happens in, at the end of all these close games, the team that's ahead decides, well, we're going to run clock. Let's see if we can get the clock down. And if you can't get it down under one minute, you're really in trouble. And even, even, even one minute is all Brady needs to score. Yeah, and you just really if, – if you have a less than – you know, around a minute or just under a minute or just over, Tom Brady is probably going to score. And you just can't sit on it. Just keep doing what you've been doing for the first three quarters – Nobody you, does that. And I know. I don't understand that. It yes, just, you do. You understand? They get. They get. Uh, I do understand it, but it <laughs> still drives me crazy. Well, me just, too. Just finish the game the way you started it, and you're probably going to win. It's true in basketball. It's it, true in football. Mm-hmm. It's true in sports. When, when you have a clock and you see the pa- chance of running the clock down, you try to do that, and that means the other team's going to get the ball back. It's just I. I don't know why you change your entire philosophy for the whole game. Is Jacksonville's case, I don't know what they did. Maybe they did. If you have a lead and you have a pass intercepted, you might get fired. I know. That's why. I understand that. I I get that. But (laughs) if you lose the game, you might get fired. Well, yeah, but if you did it right. Yeah, if you lost the game the right way. If you you do it, if you lose by the book, you know, by the book, losing by the book is when you have a lead, sit on it. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you got to win games and you got to go take the game. You can't hope to, you know, you can't hope to. Hang on. Well, Lauren, I'm going to test your football knowledge here. Hang okay. on. Uh, there And see what you know. And listeners, let's see uh, if you know the answer to some of these questions. I, I knew most of these. I, I think you'll know most of these. Uh, football 200. Your choice. Do or don't name this play in which the quarterback runs the ball and can choose to pitch it to another back. An option play. Ryan? <laughs> Uh, football, 400. I can tell you guys are big football fans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom Landry perfected the shotgun formation with this team. <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. Uh, do you think we should go to commercial? <laughs> Ryan? Take it on to 600. Okay, by signaling for one of these, a returner can reel in a kick without fear of getting tackled. Fair catch. Two clues left, Ryan. 800. These penalties are simultaneous violations by the offense and defense that cancel each other out. And they are called offsetting penalties. Let's look at the uh, $1,000 clue just for the fun of it. (laughs) Jimmy? As Minneapolis's U.S. Bank Stadium prepares to host Super Bowl 52, I'm looking at the Ring of Honor with names from this defensive line. They took the Vikings to four Super Bowls. If you guys ring in and get this one, I will die. (laughs) Who are the purple people eaters? We're going to take a break. I have to talk to them. Yeah, I knew most of those. Uh, the Purple People Eaters, you probably knew that one as well. Oh, yeah. I yeah. did know that one. Yeah, that was uh, courtesy of Jeopardy and Sony Pictures Television. And uh, it made the rounds on social media yesterday. And Alex Trebek, he helped help that by just kind of giving them a hard time and, and joking around with them and and a couple of times threatening a commercial break there. But uh, not everybody knows football. Uh, but the fair catch one, I, I was like, 
that's a really easy one. <laughs> you know, that's a that's real simple. Like it's uh, the offsetting penalties. If you don't watch football, you probably won't know that one either. I guess, but uh, you knew all those, didn't you, Lauren? Well, I I'll say yes. <laughs> I didn't hear the first one, so yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you you knew all of them. Yeah, you you've watched enough football. It it wasn't just pro football related. Uh, so yeah, again, that was something funny that uh, was made made the rounds yesterday. Well, we're gonna take a timeout. We'll come back. Uh, maybe more Super Bowl conversation, more Illini basketball conversation as well. Brad Underwood had a teleconference this morning, as he always does the day before a game. Uh, so we'll see what he had to say there as well. Scott Rich in the News Gazette was listening into that uh, this morning. So stay tuned. More Saturday sports talk. Plenty of time for your phone calls and text as well. Three five six nine three nine seven. Text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. Three five one five three five seven. Actually, got a phone call. We might just take that before we take a timeout. Let's go to uh, Alan. Alan and Montrose. How are you this morning? We're good, guys. I uh, heard that uh, Jeopardy thing on uh, KMOX yesterday. I, I just started laughing. I thought, wow. I mean, these are pretty basic uh, questions, yeah. I think. But you know, you don't I watch like football. Her. You probably don't know them. But uh, it's, well, yeah. But uh, I, I just, I mean, it was funny that he was really. He was making fun of them without making fun of them, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was wanting to go to football with you guys. Sure. The signing period is what, uh, tomorrow or Wednesday Tuesday or whatever? It's Wednesday. Wednesday, okay. <clears throat> Who are we going after that's pretty significant? And I'm not talking about Taylor. And I'm kind of curious about the situation there. Is there anybody else besides him that we have a good chance at? Well, watch for uh, Merlin Robertson uh, out in California. Lauren, I believe he's a linebacker. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, also, Hollis, a linebacker yep. from Fresno. Yeah, there's two California guys that we just mentioned there uh, that Illinois. they got to get another linebacker. Yeah, or two. oh, jeez. But Robertson's wanted by a lot of programs. He might stay in the Pac-12, but uh, they're doing what they can to get him here. And uh, he's been on campus. Uh, I think last weekend he was on campus. So that's a guy. If they could land him, uh, that would be a really good get for them. And, and it, But they're only – they signed 18 players in December, and a 19th player was a grad transfer. So the actual 2018 class is 19 players. There's only about six spots left, and they're not going to fill those, Alan, on Wednesday because you, they're going to need a grad transfer quarterback at least. So you're talking maybe they might sign. This is a random guess. Loving and I don't talk about this, obviously, because he doesn't tell people his secrets. But I'm guessing three or four players, Lauren. I don't think it'll be more than that. Well, just understand that in June we might have upheaval sure. like we've never known in sports before. And that's the fact that the, that the NCAAs may vote on a rule that would allow any player on a team that changed head coaches to transfer and be eligible immediately. That's Which is the, the right way to do this. Well, it may be, but I'm going to tell you something. It means that everybody on the team could leave <laughs> on any team that – that changed coaches, and, and would this be retroactive to this season? I mean, Is that any sport? Well, I, we're talking – you can already do it in most sports, Alan, but but uh, but in, in basketball and football you have to sit out a year. And I don't know uh, whether they'll pass it or not, or, or I don't know if it'll be – it'll count in 2018 or whether they'll, uh, you'll have to wait till 2019, but – I know that Underwood has got to look at the situation with all the coaching changes that were made this last year. Anybody who fired or, or, or any coach who left this season at the end of this past, this past basketball season, or I'm sorry, it would be Maybe at this, the end of this season, yeah, excuse season, me, at the yeah. end of this season, uh, could transfer if your coach left. 
if you if your coach leaves or is fired, one thing you can't do is you can't follow him and then play immediately. You oh, really? Yeah, you can't. You cannot follow the coach and that, then play yeah, immediately. That's one of the stipulations yeah. in the rule. That's correct. It, so if he follow the coach, yeah. If if for instance, let's say Brad is at Oklahoma State right now and he comes to Illinois in, in March. That's just, yeah. Where where did you see that? I I'd read the uh, the, the total. I I've read the stuff uh, many different things, but it's even uh, in the article you sent me by Dana O'Neill. She had it in there as well. I'll try to find it here. Um, let's see. They would allow athletes to transfer if their program without punishment if their coach is fired or leaves for another job. Um, let's see, I'll find it, but you can't. You can't follow. You can't follow. The players cannot follow the coach. Well, wait a minute. This is a rule that could be that's going to be voted on. We don't know how it's going to. Turn yeah, out. yes, we don't that's even true. know if it'll pass, and we don't let's know what to stipulate. We don't know what to stipulate. Even had this, huh? ESPN even had this that they cannot follow the coach to another school. Well, all I'm saying is they're going to vote on that. Yeah, they could change that. They could change how this well, rule is you're written. You're expressing it as though it's a final thing. Yeah. None of it's final. We don't, even a, know, we don't even know if this will pass in the, June, the way th- and we don't know if it'll, it'll count for the, this year or the following year. Yeah, the way the, yeah see, the, the way the proposal is written right now, we don't know what Lauren just referenced, when it actually take effects, takes effect, and we don't know if they ch- make some changes, and maybe they decide, you know what, if they want to follow the coach, they can follow the coach. Maybe they change that. But the way it is right now, you can't. But we have I have not seen anywhere that anyone's written that this takes effect immediately. And I probably missed it. Or maybe that's been out there. So I'm not no, saying I that. saw that it could. Yeah. But I would think it's more likely that they'll put it off a year. But I don't know. And, I, I again, I think this is a, a great rule because coaches come and go as they please um, and as they want to. Or they get fired. And, I mean, and if players – and this whole notion – and some people say, well, they commit to the institution. No, they don't. No, uh, very few athletes, especially at a high level, commit to the school. They commit to the coach right. in that coach's program. And if that coach is fired within a f- couple of years of them being there, or that coach leaves after a year or two, they should be able to just leave right away too and not be punished because it's not on them. They committed to that coach. It's not on them that the coach is gone, unless they get fired. That's because they didn't play very well. But uh, so let them go. And, One quick thing, guys. Sure. You guys mentioned grad transfer. Uh, quarterback that they're looking at so that means they're not real sure about taylor right no that is that's totally well, no that's a depth issue and that's an experience issue uh taylor from what i've read from the right. peoria journal star and others is going to sign on wednesday uh we'll see if he okay. actually does uh, but it has nothing to do with taylor taylor obviously hasn't played at this level well Can't, signing on wednesday doesn't declare him eligible that's true um, that's a great p- point you made there but uh, cam thomas only has four games under his belt He's the only scholarship quarterback. You have to have experience and depth. And MJ Rivers had a great year in Texas this year. Uh, he's a really, really good quarterback. Um, yeah. But he, high school to college, high school to the Big Ten, high school to a Power Five conference, totally different animal. And you're gonna have to you got you got to have a guy on this roster who has played major college football because Cam Thomas is still, in terms of experience, is gonna be a freshman, even though he's gonna be listed as a sophomore. Four games is. Not very much. Maybe there's a Russell Wilson out there. You know what? If there is, sign me up. <laughs> Absolutely. So and it in but it will only work if the offensive line can uh, can perform well and they're young too. And Lauren and I have talked about this on the show many times. He beats this drum on a regular basis. If you're if you're not good up front, it don't matter. So all right, Alan, we got to run. I, I go the other way with that. Quarterback comes first. 
Well, if the quarterback is running for his life, Alan, then does that matter how good he is? Well, that's true. I guess you guys are foreign too, but it starts with a quarterback. I don't care where you're at and who it is. Oh, yeah, you're not going to win games without a quarterback, but you need both. And if you only have an offensive line, you have a quarterback, as we saw last year, you don't win games. And if you only have a quarterback and an offensive line, he's going to struggle to be able to get free and make the necessary reads down the field to make the passes to let the play develop. And that's what you got to worry about without an offensive line or an inexperienced offensive line. So, thanks, guys. Thanks, Alan. Have a good weekend. What? That's uh, Alan and Montrose. We're going to take a timeout. Uh, plenty of time for your calls and text. 356-9397. Texas on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. 3515357. More Illini basketball coverage coming up here on DWS. Lauren, you wanted to make a correction to earlier. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know what made me think that. I thought I saw something last week where Ohio State only had 40. They, could, they couldn't have had 14 because they were ranked first or second in, in the uh, polls. Rivals has them uh, at number two with 24 recruits committed, 17 four-stars, 17 four-stars. If Illinois can get one or two or three four-stars, actually Illinois has got three four-stars right now, and they have two five-stars. 24 overall. Now, I saw a poll, uh, a listing yesterday where they were number one. I, I That was on TV. Uh, uh, this poll in Rivals has them number two behind Georgia. But the point is they're one, two uh, right there. And uh, they might bring in another player or, or so. They can count back sometimes. And so they can take more than 25 on, on occasion. Uh, I'm looking at 24-7 sports because uh, all these different recruiting sites have a slightly different, and they, they do have Ohio State number one. You know who's number six, Lauren? Who is not number one and who's number six? Penn State, maybe? No. The defending national champion, Alabama Crimson Tide. Oh, well, that's pretty low for them, isn't it? It is. <laughs> but they'll probably be up at two or three But then when Wednesday's over with because uh, it's Alabama. It's Nick Saban. They win championships. Even if they're sixth in the country, they're still going to be probably back in the college football playoff uh, well, next season. Well, how many do you have there? How many they uh, actually have? Al- see, players? that's key right there. According to 24-7, they have 18 total players. So I think when they add five more, six more. Like. That's the thing that people, um, they just look at the rankings and don't look at the number of players teams are signing. Like, for instance, Minnesota signed like 25 already. I'm throwing out a random. It's, it's something mm-hmm. like that, 24-25 in December. So their ranking is really high, and it's way above Illinois' and all this kind of good jazz. But Illinois only signed 18-plus a grad transfer to make it 19. So when you have more players, they base your ranking on how many three-stars, how many four-stars mm-hmm. you've got. Just, just count it's, them up. It's math. It's simple mm-hmm. math. And yeah. when if, if Minnesota has seven more players in their class than Illinois right now, then, of course, they're going to be ranked higher. It's not about – even if they're two stars, that's 14 points. Yeah, and exactly. <laughs> and so they they have more points to get to their ranking level than Illinois would. So I, I, I said this in December. I'm paying no attention to the recruiting rankings until Wednesday's over, and then we can have a conversation of comparing where Illinois' recruiting class is, and I think that's the time to wait, That's and that's when you need to worry about it. But Ohio State already has 22, 24 players in their class, and – they're not going to move much because they're not going to sign that many more, and neither are some other teams. They might drop to maybe two, but they're not going to drop very far at all. 
Let's go to the Castle Heating Cooling text line. Uh, we'll get you some thoughts uh, from uh, Scott Ritchie. Uh, was uh, listening to the teleconference this morning here at the News Gazette. Uh, beat rider for the Atlanta basketball team. Uh, here's some thoughts from Brad Underwood. Uh, get some thoughts from Brad Underwood. Uh, Bill text in this morning. One visit per inning per pitcher by anyone. Wilson Contreras makes way too many. Favorite mound visit story. Sutcliffe gives up back-to-back homers and is livid. Coach comes out and Rick says, what the blank are you doing out here? I know what I'm doing. Coach says, I'm not here to talk to you. I'm here to give the guy shooting the fireworks a break. (laughs) 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 That is the story of the week. That's a good one. I love that. I could read that again and laugh just the same. That's fantastic. Um, And, you know, as you heard Darren Fletcher say, sometimes they have to go out just to kill time to allow that bullpen work to get a pitcher to get a couple more pitches in so we can come into the game. And so I wouldn't be, I'm not in favor of limiting limiting the number of mound visits. If it starts to get excessive, I'm that's that's good with the Cardinals. You and I are Cardinals fans. What does Yadier Molina do when when he's got a young pitcher like Carlos Martinez on the mound, maybe this Alex Reyes this upcoming season, um you need to go out there and calm those guys down sometimes and it works. I mean, how many times has Yadier been able to calm them down a little bit? enough to where they can kind of compose themselves. And if you take that away, I mean, you're, you're impacting the quality of the game potentially. Now, Yachty obviously isn't able to calm them down every time, uh, but this goes for any, any team does this. When they have a really solid veteran catcher who's really good and the pitchers respect him, I just leave the game alone. Do away with the leave batting the, glove thing. Leave the game alone and look up in the stands in the eighth inning of every game. You have 40,000 people uh, buy tickets. And ten thousand go home in the eighth inning because they got to go home. Yeah, because the games are, are the um, games are too long. Now yep. you can say anything else you want to say, but the games are too long. It's baseball. It's going to last two the and a half to three hours. I, but you don't need to have a do, runner on second base in the extra innings. Things that's all I'm crazy. Is the people go home? Right, I get that. I mean, good Cardinal fans in St. Louis at a close game, two to two, they start walking out. They do. Now, but what I'm saying is, like, Manfred's okay if it goes from 305 to 255. Well, that, that's not that, much of a change. No, that's no You're difference. not going to stay at the game. You're not going to. I don't have an answer for you. No. I just know the games are too long. One of the things that can be done is stop letting them step out of the batter's box every other pitch and adjust their batting gloves 19 times. Well, and one at bat. If they're out, if they're out of the batter's box and back in in eight seconds, what's the difference? The pitcher isn't going to throw oh, yeah. it that, that quick anyway. I just I did baseball is just a long game. Football is a long game, and you can't make there there aren't changes you can make to drastically shorten the game. I I just don't think there are. I don't think a, a pitch clock is going to shorten a game that much. You might get it down to two fifty. That's still three hours in my book. It's ten minutes short of three hours. So what I'm saying is you're not going to shorten the game long enough, no matter what change you make, to make it noticeable. For you as the fan in the eighth inning on a Sunday night game or a Friday night game when you're going to be back here for the show the next morning or Monday morning for Monday morning quarterbacks, they're not going to be able to shorten it enough for you to say, I can stay to finish this game because it's going to get over at 9.45 instead of 10.15. They're not going to shave 30 minutes off the game. That's impossible. Go to two strikes. (laughs) Go to two strikes. Now what Darren said is widen the strike zone. That could help speed up the game a little bit. I think that can. But again, it's not going to shave that much time off the game. It just isn't. Well, if you did a whole combination of things, a whole series of things, don't allow any any uh, managers to come out unless you've taken the pitcher out. Don't let the catcher ever come out. Uh, cut down commercials some. Don't do reviews. There's a lot of ways you could shorten it. Everything that's been done over time has been to lengthen it. 
everything that's mm-hmm. happened over time, the tighter strike zone, I mean, all these things, uh, everything's, everything that's happened in the last 30 years has made the game longer. I think if they fix the strike zone and they fix the reviews, what you just mentioned. I don't want, I'm in favor of instant replay, but I think they can review too many things, especially the guy that naturally pops up at second base and and just offer a split second, just a hair off the bag. Like, that's not me reviewing that kind of stuff. So that's uh, we got some phone calls here. We're going to get to um, the computer will load here. Let's go to uh, let's go to Linda in Champaign. Linda, Linda, how are you? Good morning. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for calling. I, um, you're, what you were just talking about isn't why I called, but I can put in my two cents for that too. One of the things to me is, and why I love softball, Illini softball versus Illini baseball is just what Lauren said, you know, by the end of the baseball game, you're leaving. And um, Illini softball is so much fun. It's so fast. And I think one of the reasons the pitchers spend too much time trying to pick off the first baseman, you know, they're always taking that big lead and they're always trying to pick them off. And they spend, it seems like 10 minutes with every, I, I don't know, that's one. But that's not why I called. I have a question about women's basketball. Okay. And because um, you talked a lot about men's, of course, and I feel so bad for the women. They are doing, I feel like we, I mean, we go to everything, so we watch them. They work so hard. Poor Alex, she just really works her heart out. But the girl, the, the women that they play against are just so, so much bigger. I mean, last week we had, a, I forget if, I think it was Iowa, I can't remember, but the woman looked like she could play like football. She was so tall and so big, and poor Alex is playing against her. So my question is, what about recruiting? We never hear anything about women's recruiting. We hear about men's all the time, of course. So I wanted to know if you guys know anything about are there some big, tall women coming for our, game, for our, our women's basketball team? Is there any recruiting updates or that's what i'd like to know well i know that uh, i'll try to pull up here for you and we, we run a short time later we got to run so i'll try to answer that for you um the they getting uh the girl from who was playing in urbana last year she's coming in uh, there are three players coming in next year for the Illini women's basketball team uh one is six foot three one is five nine and then one is uh five foot nine which is ariel scott who again played at urbana last year so not a lot of height there um, but Mackenzie Blazik is the six foot three uh, player there. So those are the three that are coming in. Doesn't mean that she won't add transfers. And uh, Nancy Faye is just in her first season, so she's got uh, some adjustments t- to make uh, there. Let's go back to the phones here. We got to take a quick timeout coming up as well. Let's go to Ed. Ed, how are you this morning? Got to be quick. Oh, I'm doing just fine. Hey, I uh, got a quick. You were just talking about uh, meetings at the uh, meetings on the mound. My favorite story is when uh, with Gibson McCarver, Shandy's came out, told him, hey, I want you to put this guy on walking. So McCarver goes back, gets down, gives a sign, and uh, Gibson drills him right in the back. And on the first pitch, McCarver came, comes out and says, what are you doing? We're supposed to, uh, we're supposed to walk him. He says, why take uh, four pitches when I can do it in one? <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, hey, save it his arm there. It's not, it's not a, not a bad uh, idea there. All right, Ed, we got to run. Thanks so much. Okay, bye. Yep, let's go to uh, our good friend Marty in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Marty, how are you? Good, Michael. Good, Lauren. How are you guys today? Not too bad. Good show. Thank you. Darren Fletcher's a savant. Before my eyes, when I umpired quite a bit, softball, baseball, 
call anything close, widen the strike zone, get the bats going, get rid of walk-up music. I don't care about math. Oh, we just lost uh, Marty. Well, we'll uh, Marty, want to give us a call back here? We'll take a timeout to uh, take our last break here. And uh, Marty, if you want to give us a call right back, uh, we'll try to get you back on the show. Stay with us. This is Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. With the running back situation that the Patriots have, these guys are dynamic. They're explosive with the ball in their hands. One thing they do a, a really good job of is moving them around. I mean, the, you, these guys motion out of the backfield. And they're running different types of routes, lining up and empty. They're quick, explosive guys that you got to tackle. you got to get them on the ground. I mean, to beat them, we have to do what we do, and that's play great team ball. I mean, all year round, we've played great in all three phases. We've leaned on each other. And you can tell if you look at the sidelines during a game when things go on, everyone's got each other's back. So go in this game, play with a lot of energy, play Philadelphia Eagle football. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you just for a few more minutes. Uh, left on the show. Again, no Atlanta basketball game today. They play tomorrow. Both the men and women play tomorrow. We'll let you know the women's game. If you're going to go to that game, uh, you, fans will only be seated on the west side of the arena due to an insulation panel connected to the underside of the State Farm Center roof being slightly displaced. So you can only sit on the west side of the arena tomorrow. Tip off at 1 o'clock at State Farm Center. That game is internet only due to the Illini game at 11 a.m. against the Ohio State Buckeyes fighting Illini game day at 9.30. That was Doug Peterson and Nick Foles on uh, playing the Patriots tomorrow on Super Bowl 52. Uh, looking forward to that game and can the Philadelphia Eagles take down the Patriots. Uh, text to get to uh, Bill on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. Number of strikeouts are at record numbers. Bigger strike zone. Uh, well, because pitch counts. Uh, there, there could be a lot of uh, batters like Matt Carpenter, for instance, uh, would get the pitch count way up. But he's, he's striking out a lot more. But he takes a lot of pitches. And uh, that drags out games too. And it's, but you have a wider strike zone. He may not be able to take his have as many pitches. Wider strike zone, you have lower batting averages. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then as a product is good. So uh, Dan and Champagne, uh, Dan, uh, who was the manager? Popeye. I'm not sure what you're referencing. Probably a conversation we were having, and I missed that. Uh, so I'm not sure what you're referencing there. And then the 618 area code. Don't know why people value recruiting rankings from 28-year-old riders. Well, I know people that are, are, are of that age who do a great job and people who are older who do a great job. I don't care how old you are. These, these guys that covered like Doug Bouchon, Brad Sturdy, uh, Scott Ritchie, all those guys, like, and we've had Derek Piper on this show, like, they do that. Like, that's what they do. The problem with the rankings is that you've got a player in California and a player in Maine and a player in Canada and a player in Florida, and nobody sees all four. But somehow nope. you've got to evaluate the California player against the player in Florida. And how do you do that? You just guess. Yeah. That's what you do. You yeah. guess. You take somebody's word for it and people you rely on and you listen to coaches and you listen to – and by the way – Coaches have a lot of uh, input on, on how players are ranked. Don't think they don't. Oh, yeah. The people who do this job listen to coaches. Yeah, they do. They, and they talk to the coaches. They do. We pretend like that the coaches aren't involved, but they really are. Oh, the coaches are <laughs> they are heavily involved. They're not supposed to talk about. If you, see, uh, if you see Underwood get in a plane and fly all the way to Los Angeles and back on a single day, he's not going out there because there's an average player there. 
the guy's got to be pretty good or he wouldn't make the trip, right? Yeah. I mean, doesn't that tell you something? That's a long – that's Tevian Jones, by the it's way. That's Tevian Jones. Yep, it is. Uh, Brad Underwood trying to get some shooting. And I don't know how good he is because I'm told that the Los Angeles schools are not that high on him. I'm told that. Clee told me that, and I don't, I don't know. Clee uh, usually knows about that kind of stuff. All right, well, that's going to do it for today's show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank our guests, Graham Couch, Paul Keels, uh, and Darren Fletcher as well. Have a great weekend, everybody. Illinois basketball game tomorrow. Central Illinois business is next.